So this little girl was sitting in her art class in school. She was one of those kids who didn't pay attention to any class that she was in. But on this particular day, she was really engaged in what she was doing. And for 20 minutes, she sat at her table with her arms curled around the paper, furiously drawing away. Her teacher noticed what she was doing, and because this was so out of character, she came up behind her and just observed for a while. And eventually she says to the little girl, what are you drawing a picture of? Without looking up from her paper, the little girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, the teacher was surprised by this, and, and without even thinking about it, she blurted out, well, nobody knows what God looks like. To which the little girl replied, they will in a minute. <laughs> we like certainty and clarity, don't we? Whether it's about God or faith or life in general, we feel comfortable when we have certainty. Because clarity and answers and formulas and all of these different expectations and explanations help us to make sense of our world and our lives. Isn't it true that so often we want just this colorful drawing that we can hang up to explain how it all works, for how we can explain our lives, for how we understand each other, ultimately for how we can understand God? So what do we do when certainty drops out from underneath our feet? What do we do when certainty is not there? What do we do when it seems like mystery might actually hold the upper hand? What do we do when life gives us more questions than answers? That's what we're going to talk about here this morning as we wrap up our series on resilient faith. And over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at different characters from the Bible who walk through some pretty major challenges in their lives, and yet who also emerge from those experiences with great courage and resilience and strength. Now, just as a quick reminder, when we talk about resilience, we are not talking about bouncing back from something. It's not about getting back to the place that things were before that obstacle or that challenge or that difficulty came and knocked us off course. Resilience is about moving through. It's moving through that place or that moment, that situation, that obstacle that we find ourselves in, and we arrive at a different place. And that means to get there, it's going to involve, unfortunately, a lot of stretching and challenges and growth. Well, we're going to look at the final character in our series today, a guy named Job. And if you're here with us last summer, I did another message on Job in light of pain and suffering in life. Well, today I want to shift the ankle just slightly, and we're going to look at his story from the perspective of certainty and mystery to see how we can perhaps hold these two things in a healthy tension and maybe learn a few things from his story. Job is likely the earliest book written in our Bible. And so that tells us that holding this and experiencing this tension between certainty and mystery has been around for a very long time. It's been part of our human story for thousands and thousands of years. Job's story is recorded in 42 chapters which obviously we're not going to go through in any detail today. But his story is perhaps best summarized in the question, can faith survive when life falls apart? 
Can faith survive when life falls apart? Job is this once prosperous man, incredibly wealthy. He's also a person who walks closely with God. He has this integrity and this strong faith in God. And now he finds himself walking through almost every type of suffering and pain imaginable. In fact, his suffering covers pretty much the spectrum of the suffering we go through in our human experience. Everything from loss, grief, death, economic ruin, sickness, you name it. And that's just chapters 1 and 2. Job is left with a lot of questions. The next 35 chapters are full of those questions. And what's the question he asks the most? It's the question, why? He asks it at least 25 times. Here's just a couple of them. Job asks God, why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. Those are some brutally honest questions, aren't they? God, why? Why is kind of a big question in life, isn't it? The why question is asked over and over again in every loss, every tragedy. It's a question that is asked when we walk through pain and suffering It's also asked when things just don't seem to be going well in our lives or when we don't have answers that satisfy us or maybe we're trying to figure out our place or our purpose in life. Maybe you're asking a why question here today. And so for just a moment, I want us to pause and to think and to name a question that maybe you're thinking through right now or wrestling through in your life. Could be about your studies, your career, could be about a relationship. Maybe it's a struggle or a loss that you've gone through. But we all have questions that we're asking. So let me just give you a moment right now just to hold that and to name that. I know I've been asking why a lot especially as I reflect on my own experiences of grief and pain. I want to know why we've had to go through so much over these last number of months. I want to know why that intensity hasn't stopped. I want to know why, in a lot of ways, things seem to have gotten worse for us rather than getting better. I want to know why things had to happen this way and not in a different way or a different experience. I want to know what purpose this pain that our family has walked through could possibly ever serve in life. I want answers and explanation and clarity for what I'm going through. And just like that little girl put up her definitive drawing of God, I want to see God in all this. I want to have it figured out, to have this clear picture of where God is at work and what he's doing in my life and why he's doing it and what it means for my life. Basically, what I'm asking for is certainty. It's something Job asks for throughout the entire story, which is totally understandable. It's what we would all be doing, because I think we can all find ourselves in places and similar places with our own experiences. It's called being human. We like certainty. 
We like clear answers and explanations and reasons. Even better if we can put a formula or a routine to it so that we can put it on repeat and just keep walking through life. And so we tend to reduce things to their bottom line. We try to create this foundation of certainty that will allow us to sit back and breathe at least a sigh of relief or to say, man, at least I got a couple steps here in the process and I can just kind of relax a bit. Certainty is not a bad thing because there are certainly a lot of things in life that we want certainty about. I don't want my pharmacist to say, you know what, I just kind of threw these pills together. Surprise, didn't measure anything, but I I think you'll be fine. I don't want my doctor to say, I'm not going to take an x-ray. I'm just going to guess where the broken bone is. I've done this a few times before. Don't worry, it's going to turn out okay. We've got UBC engineering students today. I really don't want any of you saying, you know what, I wasn't really feeling it today, so I just kind of rounded down the numbers in my calculations. Things, Things will work out. We need certainty in our lives. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that we want to take certainty into our relationship with God, with faith. Because there's a lot more at stake in life, isn't there, when it comes to God. And so we can often end up taking that certainty mentality into our relationship with God, where we say, well, say this prayer, do this routine, know this concept, and we like to put things in our beliefs and our faith into these nice, neat predictable, tidy boxes. Let's try to figure out God. Let's try to define him and and draw him and keep him nice and neat and tidy in our own expectations. It's probably one of the reasons why the church has historically held creeds and theological definitions and ideas, because we want to hold on to something that is certain, that is defined, well-established. Why? It brings us comfort. It brings us predictability. And again, that's not a bad thing, but this is where it gets messy and uncomfortable. Life doesn't really work in nice, neat certainties. And so we can be going through life as carefully and as planned as we want, and then suddenly, bam, something happens that knocks the wind out of us or that steers us off course or that that causes us to have our thinking and our reality disoriented or it brings up a question or some questions that we weren't expecting and guess what happens all of that certainty goes out the window certainty can only take us so far because certainty does not equal faith I love how Brene Brown says it I know we've referenced her a lot we're huge Brene Brown fans but I need to give you another quote or two of hers and she says this You can hawk anything with certainty, but don't call it faith. If you've got all the answers, then don't call what you do faith. Faith without mystery and vulnerability is not faith. Certainty may come in handy for evaluations, but it doesn't nurture discovery and transformation. Keeping with our series theme, we could add certainty doesn't nurture resilient faith. And so coming back to our story, Job finds himself in these unimaginable circumstances. And even though he desperately wants to find answers and figure out a reason for what he's going through, God doesn't answer him the way Job expects him to or wants him to. In fact, when we pull back and we look at the entire biblical story from cover to cover, God never really gives us a black and white answer or reduces it to a simplicity 
bottom line answer to the question, why? At least not answers that generally satisfy us. There aren't always reasons or explanations or certainty for what we've gone through or why we're going through it. And I think it's okay to sit in the tension of that. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's called mystery. Hebrews chapter 11 begins with these words. Faith means putting our full confidence in the thing we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. Faith moves us beyond certainty, past the things we can see right now, hold on to right now, and explain right now. Faith means we may not have all the answers in front of us, that things may not be figured out all nice and neat and tidy, that we may not get the clarity or the certainty that we're looking for, and it's okay. Brittany Brown goes on to say, faith is a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. Faith is an act of courage. Courage to let go of that fear of uncertainty and courage to keep trusting, to keep moving through. And so even though Job is never given this direct answer to why, God instead points him to a different reality of a God who sees the entire picture and story, even when we can't. So Job asks God the why question 25 times. And I think this next part is so amazing. God flips it around and asks Job 77 questions. I want you to listen to just a few of them. Allow yourself just to get caught up in just the, the bigness and the mystery of them. God asks Job, where were you when I created the earth? Who decided on its size? Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things, explored the labyrinth caves of deep ocean? Who do you suppose carves canyons and charts the root of thunderstorms? Who do you think is the father of rain and dew, the mother of ice and frost? You don't for a minute imagine these marvels just happen, do you? God answers Job's questions for certainty with an answer that is shaped and formed by mystery. God directs Job's attention away from that human need, our human need for certainty, and invites him instead to consider the mysteries of the universe and life. In other words, there are a lot of things in life that we're just not going to be able to figure out because they're much bigger than us. They go beyond our human understanding and experience. And I think that's a major clue to reconciling this tension between certainty and mystery, even for us today and for what we know and don't know. So I was curious about this. Decided just to do a quick little search. With all of the scientific and technological developments that have happened, particularly over the last number of years, what's your best guess? Do you know how much of the universe that people figure out has been discovered and known? Any quick guesses? Just shout it out. Don't be shy. What's that? Bingo. If I had a gift card, you would win that, but yes. 5%. That's our best guess of the entire universe. How about the oceans? How much of the oceans have been explored? Guesses? 1%? 3? 10. It's actually, again, about 5%. How much of our brain is mapped out and understood? 
Again, that's a tricky one, but maybe 10%. And then you get into subatomic particles and all these other discoveries, and you realize that the more we learn, the more we realize how much we don't actually know and may never know about our own world. So now bring God into the equation. And you realize that there is a lot that we will never be able to fully grasp within the limits of our humanness and experiences. Because when we try to reduce God and our experiences, or when we try to have everything figured out and answered in a way that seems to make sense to us, we end up losing sight of the bigger picture, the bigger story that's at work. God says to Job, and by extension to us, You haven't been around since the beginning. You can't see what I see. You can't see the story that I am creating and writing. You might have this little nice crayon drawing of me, but you need to realize that I'm actually behind there creating this big, beautiful masterpiece. You can't see all the moving pieces that are at work because your perspective is limited. And here's the good news. God doesn't leave us to try and figure it out by ourselves. He instead invites us into a relationship of trust and faith with himself to begin learning to engage with him, to learn about him, to grow in that faith and that trust. God doesn't change, but we do change as we learn, as we experience, as we wrestle through the questions and the doubts and the uncertainties that we face in our lives. And as we open our lives in faith, even though we may not fully understand it, even though it may not give us all the answers we're looking for, God is still working in us and growing us into a new experience. And it changes us, even though we may not be aware of it. In C.S. Lewis's beloved book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's this beautiful scene that takes place between Lucy, one of the main human characters in the story, and Aslan, the lion, the king of Narnia, who is the Christ figure in the books. And in this particular scene, Lucy encounters Aslan after not seeing him for a long time. She says, Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her, and she gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Author John Gillespie makes this wonderful observation about this scene. He writes, Remember when you were a kid and everything was big? Your bedroom looms large in your memory, as does your treehouse and school, until you return to those old places and marvel at how small they've all become. In reality, they haven't changed. You have. You've grown. And the things which once appeared so large to your eyes have gained their proper perspective. The importance of stuff shrinks over time. But that's what makes Aslan unique. Lucy encounters him, but not as he was. Unlike the bedroom, he is not in reality smaller than you remembered. She says, you're bigger. 
Aslan has not grown, but as Lucy has, she now sees Aslan more truly as he is, and he is bigger than she thought. Every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. You see, resilient faith forms as we begin letting go of our need for certainty and instead begin leaning into mystery and trust in the one who sees a bigger story at work. We'll begin to discover a God who is far bigger, far better than what we could have ever imagined. We'll discover that it's not God who's changed, it's us. And we'll find ourselves becoming more and more at home within this reality of mystery and trust. And so as we wrap up this series on resilient faith, I want to leave us with a couple observations that I hope will connect and continue to guide each of us forward in our lives. Very quickly, first one. It's okay to feel the tension, to be in the tension between certainty and mystery. You can actually live in both realities at the same time, and it's okay. It's actually the place that I find myself living a lot in these days. It's this weird sort of mashup. I want to have certainty and answers for what I'm walking through because I'm walking through a lot of difficult, painful stuff. But I'm also aware that I'm not seeing the full picture and how each piece in the story may actually fit and connect together. And yet at the same time, I'm holding on to the certainty and hope that somehow God is with me in the midst of all of this, even though I may not always feel it or sense it. And so there's this very real tension between living in certainty and mystery, even at the same time. I keep reminding myself of something I heard that when things don't line up, maybe it means you're still on the journey. When things don't seem to be connecting in that way, maybe it still means there's something God is asking and calling you to grow in. Or in the words of the late Rachel Held Evans, she said, acknowledging uncertainty doesn't make a person less faithful. It just makes them more honest. I love that. Living in that tension is actually a part of faith. It's what grows us and allows us to move through life with resilience. Here's the second thing I'm learning. There are some things that we will never understand. And it's really not my right to have a clear answer to everything. But I am invited to trust anyways. I am invited to trust anyways. To hold on to what I cannot see with open hands. As that verse in Hebrews reminded us, to live with faith means to put full confidence in the things we hope for, being certain of things we cannot see. It's learning to live with an open posture in our lives. To say, God, I'm not really seeing it or feeling it or understanding it, but I'm willing to trust you in what you are doing. It's this reminder that in between the realities of certainty and mystery, God is present with us, walking alongside of us in whatever moment or situation or difficulty or challenge that we are walking through. I know in so many of my recent sermons, I keep coming back to this idea, but it's honestly becoming one of the most transformative and significant realities that I'm holding on to. God is present. 
with me, with you, right here, right now. Let me conclude with these words by Pete Enns. He says, when we come to our own Job-like moments, the way forward isn't to expect God to give us some additional piece of information to make everything fall into place. The answer that Job wants, the answer that we so often want in life is precisely the answer God keeps hidden. There's no special bit of knowledge given. Rather, God exposes the limitations of our thinking so we can let go of the need to know and to trust God instead as best as we can each moment because God is God. The way forward is to let go of that need to find the answers we crave and decide to continue along a path of faith anyway. What question do you need to let go of today? What situation do you need to release to God in this moment? What part of your life have you perhaps been holding on to tightly? Because the alternative of letting it go can feel so scary, so overwhelming, so uncertain. I want to encourage you to take just one step of response today. And it's going to look different for each of us. It may be simply to acknowledge and honestly name where you're at. That's a huge starting point. It may sound simple or sound too basic. But one of the biggest things I'm learning today and these days is don't keep things bottled up inside. There is a power and a freedom that happens when you can actually name something and speak it out loud. To say, God... I'm really not sure what to do with all of this, with the fears, the uncertainty, the questions. But if you can go ahead and actually name what those are, those fears, those uncertainties, it will actually start to break them. For some of us, it may mean opening our hands today and releasing our desire and our need for nice, tidy answers. To say, God, I'm really not sure where this journey is taking me, but I am choosing to trust you anyway. I'm choosing to trust that you see something different than what I'm seeing and experiencing and feeling right now. I may never get the type of answer that I'm looking for, but I am willing to trust anyway. I'm choosing to put my faith and my trust in you. May we be people who choose to live and lean and grow into mystery. May we be people of courage and resilient faith.